0: I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land. And for this episode in particular, the Wongal and Jadigal people. I pay my respects to their elders past and present.
1: I think all of these these opportunities do come due to hard work and persistence and relationships and and really allowing yourself to to be a sponge and to learn as you go. And sometimes you make the wrong decisions, but you you have to allow yourself to do that to, to grow. This is
0: the Over the Glass Podcast. I'm Shantae Whale. David Murphy, or Dave Murph, is a name you'll hear around the traps of Sydney's dining scene. He's one of Sydney's original wine professionals, and there isn't much that Murph hasn't had a hand in. Lately, David co-founded Liars, non-alcoholic spirit brand, while still skating around the floor of One Penny Red, his restaurant in Summerhill. Hi, Dave, thanks for joining me.
1: Shantae, what a pleasure, thanks for having me, thanks.
0: So lovely to have you on, David. The only thing more impressive than your list of experience in in hospitality is your partner nina 's Do you agree with the quote that Ev, behind every good man is a great woman
1: absolutely for the record yes one hundred percent yep
0: <laughs> <laughs> i 'm hoping at one time I can get her on there because she has a list of credentials that frankly they sound quite made up
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah it 's ridiculous we 've got a um I don't know, there must be a, like a bucket list at home or something that we're trying to beat each other with, I'm not sure, but uh, no, it's pretty good.
0: <laughs> Power couple, awesome. Um, well, let's have a quick chat about um, where you kind of got your start. You cut your teeth in hotels before opening some of uh, Sydney's greatest night spots. Can you touch on how you got your start in hospitality and then kind of how you, weigh, you know, made your way into beverages?
1: Yeah, sure. um, I'm sort of celebrating my 30th anniversary in hospitality this year, um, which is a bit uh, daunting. I I know that when I first started, I was thinking to myself, uh, I might be a waiter for like nine or 10 years and see how I go. But uh, yeah, 30 30 years later, I'm still essentially a waiter in a restaurant um, with a few other strings to my bow. But um, look, I was playing a lot of rugby union when I was a young kid and I used to work at the... uh, the restaurant at the local rugby club and uh, run by this um, uh, Fijian guy who was slightly dodgy and uh, he naturally ran out of money pretty quick and one of the guys I played footy with his uh, older sister worked at the Regent hotel uh, in the city now the four seasons and um, said that I should go and check them out so uh, I did I went and had my interview and uh, and yeah I kept, cut my teeth in the functions department and at cables at the Regent as a 18 plus four months year old man at uh, in 1991. So uh, yeah, a long time ago.
0: Holy moly. Um, How long did you stay in the hotel for? Did you, and you moved to London at some point too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, so um, look, I was probably at, at the region for a couple of years, two or three years. Uh, and in then in, back in those days, we a lot of hospitality uh, management schools were being launched. So I did uh, some hotel, um, you know, hospitality management, uh, training uh, at mcclay College, and and through MacLay College, I met Wendy Sawyer, uh, who was opening up a restaurant called Level 41. Um, she was one of my, um, you know, one of my teachers, um, and yeah, and sort of got a gig at uh, Level 41 in um when that when that first opened. Sort of, I can't remember, 92 or 93 or something like that. So. Yeah, yeah, it was an amazing way to get, uh, to get started. Like I think with cables as well, much like a key, Shantae, you know, you've you set up this system where this is your standard, you know, and the region hotel back in the day when it was really just the region and the park height was quite new. They were the standards of sort of service professionals in that respects. Um, and um, you still learn that's that's your standard. That's where you start. So um, it was an amazing way to cut your teeth. Really great.
0: I've heard a little bit about level 41 it kind of just seems like a myth to me because nearly everyone that is of you know you know decent kind of hospitality professional sometimes will happen to work there at some point in their lives what was level 41 all about can you because i actually don't know
1: it was about um extravagance and sort of over the top um opulence and a really beautiful room obviously looking back to the east um so it was james bond's originally it was his um apartment, uh, and then he got into trouble. Um, So it was turned into uh, a restaurant uh, at the top of Chifley Square. And yeah, look, I mean, and also the head briser exists downstairs, so that's why I met Liam. But um, yeah, it was one of those places where, you know, it was the who's who of Sydney would come into town, crazy prices, crazy wines. The Krug Room back in the day, um, we had different rooms with different themes. There was a crew room that we just sold crew by the glass, and Ugh. you know it didn't seem to matter. And um, yeah, it was uh, really amazing food. Obviously, some great chefs have walked through the doors in those in those times, and I've still got some um, amazing friends who I've known for all those years that uh, are now, like I say, like heading ahead of the game around the country. So yeah, really great.
0: Mm, Wow, sounds like a great restaurant. A Krug room. I mean,
1: who doesn't want a Krug room? Holy (laughs) moly. It was crazy. It was good. It was good, yeah.
0: And then you moved to London and you became the manager at a Michelin star restaurant called Lindsay House with Chef uh, Richard Corrigan. What was that time of your life like?
1: It was really interesting, yeah. So, um, got you know, just worked here for the Olympics and then uh, had not used, uh, actually, so used a contact with... um, with Liam Tomlin to uh, to meet up with Richard Cogan, who was on the, you know, back in those days they had like a um, British Airways had a culinary council, I suppose, a, a bunch of chefs that would cook, you know, on the on the planes or, or their food on the plane. So Liam was the uh, BA version of Oz, and then Richard was over there for the UK version. He was like a six foot three, 120 kilo, foul mouthed, amazing Irish chef uh, that was in a. An old terrace building in, in Soho with a galley kitchen and a 28 seat private dining room on the fourth floor. Um, so it was um, it was outrageous. Yeah. So um, you know, I, I remember getting home at two in the morning and you know, literally, sort of taking the taking like wiping my shirt off my back. It was just so because we're in full piece three piece suit, running up and downstairs. Amazing food, amazing chef, larger than life. They're yeah, really great.
0: Wow, that's not nice though. When you're kind of uh, feeling that sweaty and gross.
1: <laughs> I think we um was I was yeah we were in, we were in, I lived, living in Soho. I think we were, for the first three months. I actually we met up with Richard on the Friday that we arrived, and I started working the following Thursday. It was like within the week, and then I didn't see any of Soho for three months. I literally worked from six like Monday to Saturday for the next three months. And I um, was like, I had not even seen any of Lon- any of London law it was, so, it was ridiculous, but a lot of fun, a lot of fun, amazing food. T- yeah.
0: Totally notorious kind of London. That's what I, that's what I hear from so many people is like the work is just absolutely insane. But was there any moments that you can recall from your time there of where not necessarily of Soho, but in, in the restaurant where you were like, is this happening? You know, because it, you, you serve some pretty amazing guests and, and people at that time.
1: Yeah. Look, Richard was really, really well connected. Um, and yeah Michelin star restaurant, uh, really amazing man and uh, yeah there was some really great dishes, I uh, used to like this white white asparagus with salsify and, and a caviar sauce so very simple very elegant food um, and you're serving like in a beautiful old homestead or a whole terrace I should say in London so there was a lot of those moments when you're even just walking home at night you know and going I can't believe I'm actually just walking home and it's at 1.30 in the morning and I'm exhausted but I'm in London and this is yeah this is ridiculous it's so much fun so yes a lot of passion within that room and it was really good fun.
0: That's awesome and then you worked at Nobu on the park for a little bit as well and then you came home and then you started at um, Rockpool uh, when it was on George Street Neil Perry's restaurant.
1: Yeah so I managed to work with Neil for um, probably about a year or so and it was in between the, uh, the time when Neil went from the classic rock pool to rock pool fish. Um, so that was a really great experience to see how they, um, you know, talk about pivoting over the last couple of years, they really pivoted that business to try and create this beautiful seafood restaurant, which it was, it was always a great room, as you would know, Shantae, and uh, one of the, another one of those iconic um, restaurants that you just, you know, sort of lucky to just to be, avail- uh, be a part of for a small amount of time even. Um, it was such a good space, and Neil's a great chef. So, yeah, another, another really fortunate landed on my feet coming home, and, um, and yeah, just uh, to get involved with that restaurant was really a pleasure.
0: And were you working in management for all of this time, or were you working as a sommelier? Where
1: where were you? F- yeah, a bit of a cross, I suppose. A bit of a cross, you know. Um, at Rockpool, I was a song with Nicole, um, and... Um, but you know, I suppose I had previous management experience at um, you know in London. While doing, I was doing some wine work with uh, with the Nova team and helping them as well. So it was always a it was always a little bit of a um, uh, a hobby, as an interest. But I think really, I learned a lot more of my wine when I was still back at back at bank back in the day. You know, with um, with Remy Martin, uh, Martin and Philip Michelle and Philip, Michel uh, Philip Marin excuse me and um, really understood more about wine with those guys you know um before going to london so that was when it sort of started and the interest continued as i got as i came back yeah it was good
0: it's very much kind of the way that the sommelier kind of world has changed isn't it because before it was very much that you're a sommelier but you were the head um head of management as well and you it kind of was a part of a bigger job whereas these days we really have seen um that kind of change has do you think
1: yeah, no, I, I, 100%. I think, um, you know, when we're working with smaller restaurants, you, you can either, you, we don't have the capacity, nor the, probably the talent pool, you know, back in those days to have everyone doing certain or specific jobs like that. So there was always a manager who was really good with wine or there might be a manager who was really good at costings or or something like that. So everyone had, a you know, a, a bit of a dual uh, workload. Um, yeah, I was fortunate not to be on the P&L side and more on the liquid side. So, uh, um, yeah, it was amazing just to... Uh, to be able to talk to people about wine, I really love the food and wine matching experience. I love trying to um, sort of ask a few really simple questions to a customer about what they like about wine, what wine they like, and then and then think cool let 's do this or let 's do that, and you know, give them some options and always play it safe with maybe one of those wines. Like, yeah, I know you 're going to like this, but I want to show you two that you 've never tried or you wouldn 't have thought of trying that will actually sit within that same um, parameter. So, uh, and just see how, you know, see how they, if they trust you or not, I suppose, but also see how their reaction is once they've done that. So it's, yeah, it's really cool.
0: I totally agree with you when it comes down to just asking a couple of questions, um, you know, about like what, what is it that you like? And the more you kind of draw people out, the the more they give you right and then you can start being like oh I've got something to work with now but um is that what you think has really kept you in hospitality for so long is that kind of experience with people and taking them on a journey with wine or what what keeps you still doing what you're doing Dave?
1: Yeah I've I've just realized um I just love hospitality I, I really love like the wine and food side of it is is like a hobby in that respect you know it's like you can't not like Wine and food, in some respects, you, you need to you, you know you need to survive. But um, yeah, I like just the conversation that, that with people. Um, obviously, there's always highs and lows through the course of these years, and you get to learn uh, many different skill sets. Um, I think we're psychologists. So I think we're um, yeah you know, we're time managers. We're a lot of different things to ensure that someone who walks in the door walks out the door just as just as happy or happier. So um, yeah, I think. Yeah, you know, there's so many great things to like about hospitality. It's it's really it's all in. It's in. All, you've got to be all in, or you're all out. It's. Um, I remember. I always thought that probably after about five years, you either continue for the rest, or you get spit. You get. You know, you spit out. You you, you can't um, you can't hack it. It's it's got a it's got a threshold where you um, you're completely in, in, into it, or you just um, yeah, it's too hard. Um, my, my body's getting old though, Shantae. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these hard floors are killing me at the restaurant. But no, no it's all good. I'm all right. I'm all right.
0: <laughs> I think after four months off, that's exactly what we thought. Like, was it always this hard? Is, did my feet always hurt this much? <laughs> I
1: was falling asleep at 9 o'clock at night. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? Totally.
0: Um, you also managed uh, Ivy's Ash Street Cellars, and that was really in its glory days. Tell me um, a little bit about some of the experiences at... Um, at Ash Street Sellers.
1: yeah, Ivy, what a you know what an amazing precinct, and you know, that was a real honour to be a part of that opening of Ivy. So you know, watching um, Justin and the team start from scratch and and build this amazing um, yeah, amazing venue, and and yeah, so uh, Astrixeller, obviously working with uh, Frank uh, at the time, and Frank so Frank Moreau and Frank Roberts, um, yeah, you know, two legends of the game these days, and. Um, it's just great to have that whole. Uh, I suppose it came a little bit back to that London sort of say the Lane ways. The little, you know, little wine bars. There's a couple of little spaces that were that were popping up as well down Powling's Lane. And um, yeah, it was, it's one of those experiences that you just you get to meet a lot of amazing people. You really get to see, you know, the, the clientele is really diverse but very honourable. And um, and you and, and you just get to have this. You, you grow your little black book of of things that you've learned but also people that you meet um, that you know you sort of keep forever and um, you know some of those regulars that I had at Ash street seller are now regulars at one penny red so um, because I happen to live you know locally so it's one of those experiences where you put yourself in the right position you can and you know take those, don't take those relationships for for granted really enhance those relationships that you can you, know, you can have some some great benefit over time so
0: when you talk yeah. about your little black book in terms of contacts but I think also when you have that kind of experience <laughs> you um you also have like moments where you think like I learned really something really poignant at that time was there any moments like that as street sellers where you either made a mistake or you did something right and you wanted to carry forward into your
1: career um oh, I'm sure I made plenty of mistakes uh working for Maryvale uh in regards to just you know it's such a great lifestyle but it, it does catch up to you sometimes back in those days but um you know, what I learned the most about Marival is how to create a room, how to create an experience. So it's not just the food and wine. It's the music, the lighting, the whole, the whole experience. I always felt that merivale for me, they, they sold experiences. They sold experiences that you couldn't create at your own home. Um, and I think um, f- what I learned from them the most was, okay, is the mood right? how do we how do we set this table how do we how do we create something that these guys were not expecting that makes it super simple and it's just so easy for us to do so Mm. the detail it's all about the details and that's the same with any any business but it's it's those little details that have instilled into their business ethos that makes them the great company that they are right now so yeah
0: yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I, someone that's never worked for them, but I think you, you step into a Maryvale venue and you know that everything's kind of been considered from top to bottom. And I think you're right. It's, it's, it is it's the small details. It's the, the pain on the wall, the lack of pain on the wall, or um, they do it really well. And then you look, then you open One Penny Red, so your own restaurant, uh, which a lot of people tend to tell me is a crazy idea. Um, but tell me about One Penny Red out at Summerhill.
1: Yeah, so we're actually almost eight years in now. So um you know we're 10 years into the project in total um so we took over a small well, actually no it's not small it's a, a large old post office um so one of our one of Nina's old clients and regulars owned the post office and was sort of um s- selling up his business in regards to what he was doing on site and wanted to create this more a social space, community space again, in Summerhill, and I think Nina probably said no to Noel about three or four times, because the suburb just wasn't ready. I remember, you know, driving through Summerhill at eight o'clock at night, and everything's closed down, and it was a real, you know, it's a real, only five k from the city, but it was very much a, 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 like a local suburb. And then we took the opportunity to to do it, and um, yeah, look, it's really made um, allowed us to to. Tick those boxes or create those experiences that we've learned, both for both of us and with RJ, our, our chef and our, our business partner, to create those experiences that we love about hospitality. So you know you are coming into our house, you are coming into our um, yeah you know, our, our dining room, and and we've got the bar upstairs, so you are heading upstairs and having a great cocktail. So I've always wanted it to be sort of like a city, you know, for lack of a better term, a city-like experience in the suburbs, where you don't have to drive all the way into town to to have some nice, nice things, whether it be food or wine or what have you, or service. So, um, yeah, no, it's been a, it's it's a real pleasure we've had through COVID. Uh, without talking about too much, you know, the local support was was crazy good, and and we you know, obviously managed to stay open with takeaway the whole time. And I think we're, um, you know, we're sort of feeling a bit at the moment. We're all a bit tired now because it's been such a long two years. But we wouldn't be able to do it without our local support. So I think it's been a real uh, it's been a real challenge, but a real delight to to have this uh, amazing 50-seat restaurant, basically. So, uh, yeah, it keeps us busy. It's good.
0: <laughs> I bet it does. <laughs> it does have that wonderful feeling of what I love about it is that, you know, you've got intimate spaces upstairs, but you've got that lovely restaurant floor. And um, you can feel the, uh, what's the right word, the, the loyalty of your um, guests when you're in there, that people are really happy to be here, that they love what you do. Um, I want to touch on BYO because, uh, I actually brought back BYO on a, on a Sunday, um, really inspired by yourself and Stuart Knox continuing to do BYO because there isn't a lot of BYO in the, in the city and, or in the suburbs. And, and if it is, it's kind of, you know, crappy glasses and, Kind of pizza or something like that, so talk to me about why you think b y is important and why you do it because it 's not particularly profitable for a restaurant
1: no it's not um, look I think um, it, when you open up a local restaurant, um, you really only have you know so many things that you can that you can offer people that's slightly different or and you don't and you also need to understand that you are still. Um, a part of the community, the local restaurant. So, you know, we're not a pizzeria. We're, uh, not that we're much cheaper, much more expensive than a pizzeria, but, you know, we we um, thought that there needs to be some community-minded experiences that we can offer our customers that allows them to do what they need to do to get involved with our business. So it's like a, it's an opportunity to say hello without, you know, making them spend, you know, hundreds of dollars or whatever it may be. So what we um, thought with, and I think we actually did this at. Um, Mad Cow did it, uh, which is an old one of the older restaurants from um, Ivy back in the day. They did it just do a BYO as well, and we I really liked the idea of doing a BYO and getting people to bring a nice bottle of wine in, and whatever was nice was up to them. It didn't need to be um, you know the most amazing wine, but we would then create a menu that would sort of go with the wine that they bring. So. Um, we did that from the very first month that we opened, um, and it was just like, yep, just come in, we'll charge you $75 for five courses of food, and uh, what we do is we have a menu of about 15 items, about half of those are just for that night, so they're not just regular menu items, they're items that we've, that are new, that RJ has seen some seafood specials, or whatever it may be that, that comes through, and then we'll create this little sharing menu for, for the table. And the first night that we did it, um, we had some regulars who are now actually very good friends of mine. Um, so one regular, one of the guys that came in uh, bought a 1986 liverless Cass, And I was like, okay, uh, I think uh, we may be onto to something here. I'm not quite sure, but I uh, wasn't expecting that as our first. And there was a DRC that came in and another, another gentleman bought a Bass Phillip um, Premium. And it was like, we did like 20 people. And I was like, oh man, there's like, uh, you know, I, I did do a little bit of research about um, spoke to a few bottle shops of they had, you know, clients around the area They had some good sellers that, like, oh yeah, there's a couple of guys who are buying some nice wine. So, okay, we'll give it a go. But yeah, now we've done it every, every last Tuesday of the month for the last, except for December, um, for the last seven years. And we've got next Tuesday is the last month of, uh, November and we've got, um, 75 people, um, booked for dinner and, um. Yeah, it's uh, all of those same regulars that we had eight years ago are coming in and, um, you know, they'll send us a list of the wines that they're bringing and uh, through the course of those eight years, we've had, yeah, some crazy, crazy wines come through. Um, it's great, it's great fun. It's only $90 a head, you know, we we don't make any money out of it as you like, but as you say, sorry, but um, yeah, what an experience for all the team here at the wine team to open up, you know, last month it was a 2008 Comte de Champagne or you know, an 82 Latour or, you know, whatever, or, you know, uh, 88. We had some 88, Hillary of Grayson, 88, 389, and uh, last month it's the same table. So, yeah, you know, people are bringing some some big things, in the po- and I know I'm taking a lot of time, but the big kicker is, I suppose, we put all the bottles on the on the bar top in the restaurant at the end of the night. We put them in a line so everyone can see what everyone else has bought in. And that's just been a bit of a tradition and then you get everyone getting up and looking at like oh my god look at that look at that and what's that what that has done actually is created a little bit of bottle envy so a bit of bit of uh, some people like oh next time we come we need to bring some good stuff because of that you know whatever whatever they thought was good this time is not cutting it so it's been it's been a really interesting uh sort of uh you know race the top in regards to wine sometimes yeah it's been pretty pretty crazy
0: I think that's great because it really does open up conversation about wine. And I think, you know, like you said, it's not just about making money at the end of the day. It's about people that are passionate and it brings, it just, you know, you see the the light in their eyes and in yours when someone has something great. And it's not like you're having a big old glass of it. You might have what? five meals to have a little look at sometime. but even that, just the aromas from some of those wines can just be absolutely crazy. And, and like you said, it's an experience that you have together with the guests. So I think it's great that you're doing it. I th- encourage anyone that hasn't gone for a BYO um, at One Penny Red to do so. It's always my first recommendation. Um, so let's touch on um, let's touch on Liars and how that came about. You co-founded Liars, which is an incredibly successful non-alcoholic brand, um, with some absolutely stunning marketing, I have to say. So how did all that come about? And tell us a little bit more about Liars.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm not really, I'm not a co-founder, more of just a creator of the liquids, but I'll take, um, for the for the licensing of this particular program, I'll take that, that's fine. So, um, but yeah, look, um, look, it's all, again, we talked about relationships earlier, it's about relationships, and the gentleman who um, actually co-found, who was one of the founders and CEO, Mark Living's, um, I was introduced to me through our wine club here so through um, as a restaurant uh, regular um he who um had some ideas and was sort of chasing some opportunities in regards to non-alcoholic spirits and his line of business could see that there was a potential in this particular segment uh you know of the marketplace and at the very beginning um you know he asked me to look at some liquids and i would sort of give my impressions of what he was doing and you know and what we could do to increase inc- improve or increase some of the um some of the textures and techniques so um yeah it was about a seven or eight month worth of uh, work and this probably was about four years ago now Though i was sort of started getting involved and I remember talking to a few mates and going, oh i'm looking at this non-app spirits thing and like uh like myself at, at the same time going i don't know whether this is going to work or not this is a bit you know it's a bit of a weird one but uh um yeah we're four years in um we're a team that was I was probably about employee number four um and there was like 90 90 staff around the world we're into 55 close to 60 countries around the world um yeah and I'm um I'm sort of um I'm only just you know just sort of working on a a part-time sort of Side of the business so in regards to what my role is. My role is uh, is to create all the all the liquids. So everything that's inside the bottle, I, I manage the flavors, the texture, um, the finish, whatever it may be. So it's been obviously thirty years of drinking a lot of um, different types of alcohol and, and studying those those things that has, that has allowed me <laughs> that has allowed me to uh, have an insight, I suppose. Um, but no, it's been it's been an amazing challenge, and um, yeah, we did. Uh, we're getting some great results in regards to just markets, but also, you know, in, in the awards side of things. And uh, people are really you know, loving liquids, which is great. I'm, I couldn't be any prouder of where we're at right now with uh, with lies It's amazing. Yeah.
0: And so, essentially, you're create you're creating non-alcoholic spirits. So you're actually going. Let's go in and try. Let's create a gin. Let's create an amaretto. Let's have an apérol. Um, and so. Is your as your title says, flavor architect, is just about creating? Um, okay, how do we recreate some of those flavors using different spices and all of those elements? That's essentially what we're
1: doing. Yeah. Yeah. So what we did at the beginning was had a, like a set up the, the original suite of spirits that we wanted to do. We wanted the spirits to be something that people already knew, so it wasn't going. wasn't trying to create something then you had that then you had to work out. What to do with it so um like an amaretto, or yeah uh, the italian spirits which is like an aperol and basically you know sit at the bar um do a sensory evaluation of the spirits that exist and look at those um you know the, the gold standards if you like that are, or benchmark spirits that are within that category um do an evaluation of that write down like you would when you, you know tasting wines the viscosity the burn the you know flavor complexities and what have you and then um yeah we go back to a, a, a a partner within the company that supplies us with um, you know the the attributes that we need and um, and then i start recreating it so um, and it's not it's not quite that simple like we're just releasing some agave spirits so our version of a tequila um, that are just coming onto the market over the next week or so um, and you know that we've probably gone through about 85 to 90 different samples of liquid to get to where we go yet we're ready to bottle so it's taken me about 12 months to to work on this one liquid to get it to where I'm reasonably happy with it so or very happy with it yeah
0: that's amazing I mean I I just never did you think that this was going to take off that a, a non-alcoholic sector be so strong
1: no look no I, and you know um you know five years ago when sort of this was or four years ago when this was sort of coming to light that we didn't have really anything non-alcoholic on the list at the restaurant there was you know, there was some whisperings of a few beers that mainly more in Europe um, no real other spirits or anything um, certainly things like great products like non and that they weren't they weren't you know around so um, no not at all so it was a little bit of a let's to see what we can do um, and then I think look I think um, there was a, a very much a wellness um, um, program you've like that sort of started with partly with COVID and, and just generally speaking, people are much more aware of what they're doing with their bodies. And, and that's been great. So that's been good for us. And also, um, you know, the whole stigma of non-drinking, Shantae is always like for us, you know, we might be having a glass of wine together and there's someone not drinking. So there must be something wrong with them. They must be either pregnant or driving or just not quite right. You know, so that was what we used to think, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, that was like, what's wrong with you? You can't, you're not drinking. So. Right now, there's um, there's this great appreciation for those who just need to, to to not drink or and or to do something else. And um, our society or the, the the whatever we got at the moment, there's just a I suppose um, there's a there's a there's a an appreciation for people to to make up their own minds of what they'd like to do um, without any hesitation. And um, you know, we're just offering those those folks to drink the drink they want to drink whenever they you know whenever they like to um without it making too confusing for them but also you know i drink it and then the next day i might have a glass of wine and then the next day i might not have a glass of wine. i might have a i might have a liars or something else so a heaps no more or something so it's really just um you know it's just uh, allowing people to to um to manage their own habits
0: well, I think it's. I think it's really important that we talk about these things because um, we are a big drinking nation, and I think you know these days it, it's important to to like you said be mindful of what you're putting in your body, but also being able to treat yourself on a day where you're out because it's so social, isn't it? What when we talk about let's catch up, it's always for something for a coffee, for a glass of wine, for something, and so you don't want to miss out on all those social occasions just because you're deciding to look after yourself a little bit more. So I think um, it's really important this non-alcoholic sector and what you're doing is um really really important work and uh you know for the future generations out there having a healthy uh, relationship with alcohol is really important so good on you mate that's great
1: yeah look at something thank you it's something that we don't speak to we don't speak of a lot in our industry of you know um in regards to soms and that as well and i think um you can have a great experience without having to drink alcohol and i think we've sort of um grew up thinking otherwise and and it's just now that we're understanding that we actually need to think about what we're putting in our bodies sometimes. And we, you know, we're not a, not a company that preaches non-alcoholism or anything like that. It's just it's an availability. And I yeah. think that's the most important part.
0: I know. I mean, it's funny. We we do a bit of uh, wine judging together, and still to this day, you know, when the news is coming around, they're asking us, oh, "Are you drunk all day?" And it's it still baffles me that people say, no, "I'm not drinking the wine. <laughs> I'm assessing it as a professional." Like I think it's still amazing that people think that we just run around the floor, half yeah, half, half cut. cut. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what do you what 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 keeps you in? Um, what, what's going to keep you doing this? Job, and what do you love about being a familiar?
1: look the connection with our people with the yeah you know, with with one penny red, the connection with our local communities is really important to us, and um, I think yeah, it'll be something that we do for a long time to come. Um, I, I think the opportunity to create new experiences like this you know the lies experience is a new experience, and I wouldn't have had that experience if it wasn't for my long term association with hospitality and with with wines generally so you know i I think all of these these opportunities do come due to hard work and persistence and, you know, relationships and, and really allowing yourself to, to be a sponge and to learn as you go. And sometimes you make the wrong decisions, but, you know, um, you have to allow yourself to do that to, to grow. So look, I'll continue to do as, do as long as I can. I'm, I'm, I am getting old. So um, I think even you've said one time that there's one of the old songs of Sydney coming in the door. Be careful. So, you know, not quite dinosaur stage yet, but I'm getting close. But... Um, yeah, look, I, I think there's lots of opportunities for us to 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 keep going for a few more years yet before um, I hang up the wine knife, so to speak, um, the waiter's friend or whatever it may be. So yeah,
0: I definitely did not say that, by the way, but I do <laughs> think that um, for somebody that just had such an incredible career, you always just have this relaxed, take it in your stride kind of. Um, philosophy or or, or that's what comes across. So I think that, um, you know, for some of the young psalms, you know, when you walk in the door, I'm like, that's Dave Murph. And everyone's like, huh? These young guys, you know, (laughs) they're 28 and I'm like, he's a big deal. He's had so much to do with why you're standing here and why you can be a familiar. So uh, I'm deaf. That was definitely what I said. I did not say that you were old.
1: <laughs> maybe with some Yes, maybe I did take it out of context a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so what, uh, if you're only drinking three beverages for the rest of your life, Dave, what are they going to be and why? Well,
1: it's going to be moderation, you know, so um, that's what we uh, We're all about these days. So look at the Riesling and Chardonnay will always be in my cellar. I just can't, not drink Riesling or Chardonnay. I just love both those two grape varieties, um, um, and yeah, they will always be there. Um, you yeah, know, just classics. Um, look, I'm, I lie, lies. Um, I really, I'm really enjoying the the non alcoholic sector. Um, there's some great products out there. So um, we do a little Americano, um, uh, whether it be alcoholic or non alcoholic. I do love an Americano and. Um, uh they'll always those ingredients will always be in the pantry um and i'm not sure like i'm I'm so i really love trying new things all the time shantay i I like we try to change the blindness here at the restaurant you know by about i don't know 10 percent uh every other month so uh, i like seeing what's out there and looking at new things and um keeping an open mind so i'll leave my third choice for uh something i haven't seen yet
0: i like that that's wonderful um well, Dave, I hope I you know, I get to see you soon. I think uh, next time I come into the restaurant, I'll do a BYO. I'll bring you a bottle so you can drink something and then I'll buy something off your wonderful list. But I've loved hearing about everything today and uh, I hope that I get to catch up with you and Nina sometime soon. Thanks so much for
1: joining me. Uh, Shantae, thanks so much and well done on this. It's really fantastic. Thank you.
0: Cheers to you, mate. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shantae Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at